I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes significant hardship. The stock market is doing extremely well, which means to me jobs. Because we inherited a bunch of formulas from the Labour Party that shoved all the funding into deprived urban areas. All of their red ink is really our black ink. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. While the US might be struggling a bit with inflation, it's nothing compared to what's happening in Europe. This week, Russia shuts down its gas pipeline, supposedly for repairs, but there's no guarantee it's going to open again. And even if it does, supplies are a fraction of what they were, and Europe wants to stop its reliance on Russia anyway, pushing prices sky high with rationing the only likely solution. Meanwhile, the euro is weakening as the US dollar goes from strength to strength, and that's adding to Europe's inflation pressures and throwing a drought on top of all of that adding to the energy and supply problems, and a growing wealth divide. Is there any good news for Europe, or is it all collapsing in a heap? And is it repairable, or is it just dark days ahead for Europe? And what pressure will that put on the survival of the European community? That's all this week on the Debunking Economics podcast. So if Europe doesn't relent and it keeps on uh, avoiding buying gas from Russia, what shape is it going to be in by the time winter comes around? Dutch gas futures the with the price for contracting gas purchases right now. So this is not all gas because some has been contracted in the past, although generally from Russia we've been buying at spot prices. So they're up around €340 per megawatt hour. To give now that means nothing unless I tell you that in early June they were less than 100. So several months into the war they were 100. Now they're 340. In Britain, the cap on energy prices for the home uh, was a little over 1,000 pounds in summer 2021. It had risen to almost uh, 2,000 pounds by summer 2022. Then it's just risen to £3,549. And research from Cornwall Insights that calculates uh, pretty well this sort of thing reckon it's going to be £5,386 early next year. So that would be a five-fold increase in energy prices in about 18 months. And it's not going to stop there. Uh, To give that some perspective, the average UK wage after tax is 27200 So you'd have 20% of the energy bill in the UK, uh, 20% of the household bill in the UK going to energy. So, Steve, um, that that is a cap, by the way, for households. So businesses don't have that. Their prices can, can go even faster. So given all of that, just how much of a mess is the UK and European? And can you see any way out of it? Well, there could be. I mean, what, what it will take is a reversal in the drought. If the drought, uh, you know, there's, there's suddenly you flip from drought to flood. I mean, the flood itself could be just a de- just devastating damage it does. But a large part of this... You're talking about I the guess, gas drought because they, they have a drought. Yeah. <laughs> to throw, I mean, we haven't even mentioned the fact that Europe is in well, that, drought that's part as well. Because, yeah, yeah, uh, because, yeah like, they, mean, all the alternative forms of energy are gone as well. Uh, so you like you can't leave even mm. nuclear power has to be cut back because the cooling they, you're not you can't put the heat uh, the, the essential part of a, a process like a nuclear power plant yeah. is cooling 
uh, the the gas the the steam down because if you don't you can't actually do work there there has to be a gradient between the temperature yep. on one side of the turbine where the heat is and the temperature on the other side otherwise the turbine won't spin and so Norway got is not cool. you got to, yeah you need water for that and then Norway is largely hydroelectricity and they're not getting full power yeah, out of that because yeah. of the drought as well yeah so every, and like you've also got like the barges can't work anymore because the right the Rhine is too low most of the major rivers becoming non-navigable and that's going to force yeah. you onto the road which means you've got to buy more so everything is it's a huge energy crunch and uh the, the only way out of it is i think unfortunately europe is going to have to give in to putin to get the gas because at some point it's going to be simply unsustainable for them to you know continue any form of embargo uh they'll, they'll probably this this is how bad it could be i mean i you know i, I know the euro the nato powers want to maintain the pressure on, on Putin over Ukraine, but this could force them to give up uh, because they, they, they're fighting an energy war. And if they can't get the energy from Russia, then there are going to be people you know, freezing to death uh, or going becoming bankrupt uh, over the over the winter period, which, of course, we're, 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 we haven't yet seen the side of it. We've already got these incredible prices for, for gas and for other forms of energy. Yeah, unless... Uh, I mean, can we get gasine from from America? I know there's, you know, there's, but that's been delayed as well because there's one big uh, LNG terminal which has been closed down. But I think that's opening up. But I mean, there's a, that's a lot of uh, ships full of uh, full of liquid uh, natural gas making its way across the Atlantic. But is that an alternative? Not particularly. I mean, because for a start, I mean, it, 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 there are liquefied natural gases. Is, is is you know, it's I. The same stuff, and they're calling it natural gas. It's basically methane. I understand. Mm. Uh, so, so it's methane gas in liquefied form, and you need to have specialised facilities to take that stuff off the ships. It's all real to get yeah. the stuff into port. It's getting into the into the uh, uh, the, the, um, you know, the tubes that, that matters. And uh, yeah, so you've got you, to you, un- unliquefy you, it. So you've, you, got, you've to got to get it back into, into the gas. Pipe. Yeah. Now that itself is a huge industrial task. It is, yeah. but apparently they're onto it. I don't know whether they're onto it to to the, the extent to replacing all, all the Russian gas. But I mean, in in theory, they they think that they can manage that if they, but minus fifteen percent. If they so work if you, hard enough and fast enough, well, yeah, but like, you, you, will it be in time for this winter? I mean, that mm. that is an interesting question because this winter is only three months away in terms of really starting to buy three, four months from now. Yeah. Three months, really. I'm um, putting, so that's a hell of a fast time to. And giving people money facilities. doesn't help, does it? By saying, well, okay, gas is really expensive, so we're going to subsidise those households. Well, obviously, it helps those households, and it means they can afford to buy enough to get through. But it doesn't help the fact that there just isn't enough to gas to go around. They have to introduce well, I, I think what they've got- rationing at some point. Ration, rationing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. rationing. I think the only way around it. Because for a start, let's just get one thing uh, on the table here. It is not costing it's not the cost of production of gas that's gone up. It's the lack of availability and the demand price has gone through the roof. But what you've got is, even though like it, it, you, you, you're not getting gas from the same supplier because of the whole thing over the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, you've got a, they've got the physical cost of getting it and their liquid natural gas into the form that it can you know, um, go into the pipes that currently distribute natural gas. Um, all these things are there are some costs involved, but overwhelmingly this is an impact of just a shortage of supply caused by political reasons. In yeah. this particular case, the war. Um, so it's, it's not been a huge increase in the price, of the cost. But boy, is there an increase in the prices. So, so if this you were is to gonna mean, that, yeah, you, if you ration though, you'd, you'd, you'd have companies that are going to have to close temporarily because they, you know, and, and because they because they reliant on that on that energy and and just can't function without it. If you were to do that. 
then you get back into and also for you know subsidies that are needed for households as well generally you'd need you'd need to be spending a, a, a shed load of government money again wouldn't you we're almost back into well, the covid it, it, types it, it, conditions it, 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 it's it's what the government should do this is again where the government can create the money it needs to buy that stuff but mm. what you really don't want to have is the is the this is going to mean that the most profitable corporations on the planet are the ones that are causing the, the, the society to break down this is money going to the fossil fuel industry okay? yeah. huge increased profitability of fossil fuels is that what we want this is a case where the markets are clear uh, case of, of you know market failure doesn't even do it justice. The market is going to reward the institutions in our society that are causing our society to collapse. And the last thing we want is more money in the hands of, cus- of oil companies and, and gas companies and coal companies for that matter. We want it in the hands of people who are going to build alternative energy sources, so solar, uh, nuclear, wind. That's where you want the money to go tidal. Um, so we, no. we really need... So step up the windfall tax then? Effectively, but no, not a tax. And this is why it's important to understand modern monetary theory and the nature of financial accounts. If you did it as a tax, it doesn't do anything. It would mean that you reduce the tax burden in terms of the tax, tax you know, from the MMT point of view, and it's 100% correct accounting. What taxes do is take money out of circulation that's been created by the government beforehand. It's reducing the excessive stimulus uh, by leaving that money in the circulating in the in the non uh, non government part of the economy, what you want to do is actually do the transfer. So you don't want to have the money going from the uh, oil companies and the gas companies to the government. You want to go from the oil companies and the gas companies to the solar power companies and the nuclear companies. So you want not a tax but a transfer. So after, over, mm. over a certain level, let's say I have no idea what it'd be sensible in terms of kilowatt hours and stuff like that. What did you say the current price is and the price was last year? 100 to 300? Uh, so, yeah, 340, 340 euro per uh, megawatt hour is, is what it was this week. Yeah. Okay. Up well, from 100. In, in up from 100. Okay. What you do is you have, a, have a, 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 not a price cap, but a, but a redirection cap. So, all, if the price, anything over 100, Obviously, a hundred mm. per, per kilowatt hour is a, is a hell of a you know profit level for the companies anyway. They get a hundred, and everything above a hundred goes to the goes to a fund, uh, which is doled out to the companies producing solar, uh, nuclear. It directs so not going through the government. It has to go from the bank account effectively of the fossil fuel companies to the bank accounts of the. Uh, com- companies producing solar, wind, nuclear, tidal. That doesn't help people, though, does it? In the short term, I mean, it, it, it makes sense, but it well, you doesn't. Can, yeah, but the same, the same, the same time, you can do the same sort of thing. You, yeah. you put a, you put a price cap. I mean, this is the case where the the, the, the usual argument that neoclassical idiots use, in fact, they say that's an oxymoron. That neoclassical economists um, use for opposing price caps is it distorts the market. Well, this the market is being distorted by sheer absence of supply and by uh, uh, you know, heavily fact, distorted. Absolutely, yeah, heavily yeah. But, um, distorted. But okay. they, I mean, so they would we, say they would say though, and the energy companies would be quick to say this as well uh, that oh, you know, after a hundred, you know, it's just not worth us putting the extra effort in. So we we, we are not going to produce at maximum capacity. Well, the thing is, you, you, what you want is to reduce the cost of production for factories that will go out of business. Uh, but you also you put a you, you 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 can't have the public paying those prices. So you, you mm. have to have the state creating the money. So rather, it's a two part mechanism. Rather than taxing the, uh, uh, the oil and gas companies and thinking that's helping government revenue, which it doesn't do, you 
put a transfer price ceiling that anything above a hundred goes to the other goes to a fund, yeah. which then is doled out to the other companies. And but, then at the government level, the government runs a larger deficit, and that deficit enables people to pay the higher prices. So you give people money. Uh, so the government money is involved in the, in the creation of money rather than thinking you're helping out by paying government tax. Right, but if but we're in an international world, that 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 increased price, a lot of that is going to be uh, liquefied natural gas that's being shipped in. Particularly if uh, you know, and when we'll find out next week, uh, or in the next few days, actually, whether any or uh, any gas at all will be coming from Russia. It might be that uh, that pipeline is closed down supposedly for maintenance for three days. Mm. Uh, whether it actually ever reopens again or they find something strangely that can't be fixed, uh, which means then Europe is reliant entirely on uh, liquefied natural, ga- natural gas. And uh, and those suppliers would say, oh, hang on a second. So we, we, we can only get 100 per megawatt hour selling to Europe. We can mm. get 300 selling to Asia or yeah, 200 you, you selling to only... Asia. We'll, 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 we'll just not yeah. supply Europe at all. Yeah, and that's quite possible. I mean, it, it's, it's uh, this, this is, again, this is... This, this is wartime stuff. I mean, mm. I was saying, I've been saying for ages, as you know, that our response to climate, to, to climate change is going to turn to a wartime economy uh, because this, this, we, we are completely underrating the seriousness. I thought this was going to happen in 10 years. I think I, this is a classic take. But one thing, I'm, I'm good at getting an idea of what's going to happen in the future and lousy at timing it. So in the financial <laughs> crisis, you know, I, I started warning it in December, in December 2005 and it happened in in August 2007, that wasn't too bad in terms of timing. But this time round, I thought, I always say these things too early. Like my wife actually asked me in 1994 to invest in housing, my first wife. And I said, no, it's in a bubble and I refuse to write a bubble. Now, that was the beginning of the bloody thing. I saw it before I know. else. You lost out big time in that. I've I got lost a co- out big time. I, I could have ridden that for 15 years. I've got a cartoon in my mind of, uh, of of Steve Keen as a dinosaur surrounded by all the other dinosaurs and they're going, <laughs> you're running around going, we're going to die out, we're going to die out. And then sort of like another picture a thousand years later and they're going, God, there goes Steve Keen again. We're still going to die out with a picture of a meteor sort of coming down in the, in the distance. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, so like this, this meteor is aligning <laughs> faster than I thought it would. I mean, yeah. But again, I've been always I've been always been um, given some sense of, of of timing for this from the work at the limits to growth, which I read back literally when it came out in 1972, and that they, they deliberately gave a very vague timeline for how long it would for their actual future predictions from 1970 forward, which is what the book was about. So they'd fitted it to data from 1900 to 1970 uh, with a number of in, in, indexed uh, time series population resource usage, um, CO2, pollution levels, et cetera, et cetera. So they got, they got the model to, to run and roughly match the data for the, I think, the seven indices they used from 1900 to 1970, and then they ran it forward. Now, their, their forward bit, they, when they did the chart of what they were predicting, the chart began in 1900 and finished in 2100, and there were no other time divisions on the x-axis, and that was deliberate. They explain it in the book. They were not trying mm-hmm. to give precise timing. But now you eyeball it, and you say it's roughly 2020 to 20. 2020 to 2030, the fund's going to start. 2050 uh, is, is when you know there's a serious decline is is in in train. Now that my guy, but I think well, I, I see this thing coming before anybody else, like I did with the, you know, the housing bubble. It'll may you know I'll give it rather than saying it's going to be 2022, which is what it looks like it is. Uh, I was saying oh, 2030, 2035. Well, you know maybe I should have stuck with my original gut feeling here because this is really the beginning of the breakdown of the economy courtesy of climate change. 
Yeah, and courtesy of politics, of course. I mean, the, you know, the, well, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the, the, the short-term side of all of this. And it sounds like, uh, just on that, and, and I want to talk about the, 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 the US influence and, the, and how much that has over Europe in, in just a second uh, and, and talk a bit more about the money. But in terms of the, this supply of, of oil, it sounds like we're saying, actually, no, it's not going to work. Because even if you did say, well, okay, we are going to uh, cap the amount that you can charge at, at a hundred, and anything over that hundred, uh, that money's got to go into a special fund that's going to go into into renewables or helping out those people who can't afford to heat their homes this this winter. Uh, I mean, that's not going to work in an international marketplace, is it? So we no, that's so we thing, are you, that, that's, we we are yeah, back to sort of like we've got to make peace with Putin. It, that's I think that's basically it. I mean, this, this will force Europe to give in on backing Ukraine against Russia. It won't force America. America can continue doing its thing. Uh, but it will force Europe, and that I mean, talk about a, a, a having to you know swallow humble pie, uh, because this uh, in in this sense, you know, Putin has been playing this game. Firstly, by saying you have to buy our oil in rubles, rubles, meaning you have to trade with us. Now, if he holds the squeeze long enough, uh, it, it's going to force Europe to give in and stop supporting Ukraine. Right. And as if that's not bad enough, there is also the question about whether central banks and the role they're taking, supposedly in trying to uh, reduce inflation, are they making things better or worse specifically for Europe? Could the work of the Fed actually be damaging the European economy? We'll look at that next on the Debunking Economics podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now, Steve, to make matters worse in Europe is, a, is a, as if the whole situation over, over power and energy wasn't enough. Uh, we've got a very strong US dollar and therefore a very weak euro. It's losing strength all the time. And the reason for that is because the US dollar is gaining all the time. And the reason for that is because the Fed keeps on talking about how much they're going to push up interest rates. And the more they talk that up, the more bond yields rise as well, because investors start to see that they can get a, a meaningful return on bonds at last. So money is flowing into America to buy American bonds because they're being so gung-ho on interest rates. That's inflating the, the value of the dollar. That's weakening the euro. That's making imports into Europe more expensive. That means European inflation gets worse. So on top of all of everything else, here we have America. In fact, a few people in America, the the, the board of the Fed, basically uh, making this, uh, you know, having this influence on on the world, and particularly this influence on Europe. I mean, developing nations, is, you know, it's the same story for them as well. But I mean, that this is just uh, going from bad to worse, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, and this is the um, the classic. Uh, I think it's called the Seneca effect, and that is that you the the, the 
the, the rise over time is gradual. The collapse when it comes is a sudden. And this is just take, mm. taking my breath away because like, I actually made a decision to hang on to a house in, in Europe um, in the expectation that, you know, I thought I might as well have a front row seat for seeing what's going to happen and I can afford to hang on to it, so I will. Uh, I didn't expect the front row seat to become uh, viable that quickly two months after I'd have made the decision. Mm. I might have actually sold to get out because it is, is looking quite Well, never mind you. There's 550 million people living there who are facing they all can't, these consequences, and aren't they? And, and then what you've got is, yeah, yeah you've got to, this, this is something where it has to be, forget about letting the market rule, forget about uh, letting prices determine everything. This is, this is you know, war footing stuff you have to make sure everybody gets enough to stay alive so you ration to the household you uh you you ration to factor factories as well it's basically commandeering in the same sense that resources were commandeered during the second world war right but how does that fix this this falling value of the euro against uh it what, doesn't. what's it, happening in america it doesn't i mean it, 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 it we, we may see our first summit on energy um and rationing uh take place this year if trends continue the way they are in Europe, uh, and, and without, and you know, all we're going to see basically a capitulation by the Europeans. They agree with Putin to stop um, supplying Ukraine in any sense at all. So Ukraine gets forced to fold, and that, of course, I think has been one of Putin's objectives. So this, but um, Europe on, on both of these fronts, though, the energy issue, and then and then just the the, the whole fact that the euro is 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 weakening so much now, because the ECB. Um, you know, as far as they're concerned, uh, all of this is is fixable. The only way they can counter the falling euro is to push up interest rates. So European bond yields are higher, so investors are more compelled to to buy the euro. Uh, but to do that, of course, they're going to have to raise rates even more than the Fed in an environment where people don't have any money to spend. So uh, it's you know, all of a sudden, not only is energy going to cost more, uh, your mortgage on your house is going to co- cost more as well. So you will have no money left, yeah. nothing at all left to spend. So it's going to crush demand. It's going to knock down house prices. The only way the uh, – I, I don't know how the ECB responds to that or, or, or Europe responds to that because it's, cause it is, it's not just the energy side of the equation yeah. now. It's it's also the the price of money as well, which is becoming an issue. Yeah, it, it's it's a you know unholy alliance of of forces all at once, and this is again the Seneca effect. Once things start falling apart, everything falls apart, and one thing cascades and affects another. So again, the way that economists think about this stuff is to add up linearly this effect and that effect. What you get is multiplicative. Uh, so one factor gets worse, and that causes another factor to get worse, and you you have a you know a, a what is it? minor, if you use me, adding up things separately, amplify and become devastating. And that's going to happen yeah. if, if with COVID as well. I mean, just what you need of it. There's a new variant coming along uh, and it will, be, it will be exacerbated during winter because people will be forced to be back at home and they'll be more enclosed because they can't afford to, you know, they can't afford to keep place warm. So they'll barricade everything in, trapped air. It, it is just a... It is really you know, quite deadly. I think the ultimate, the, to me, the, the only thing Europe can do that's actually practical is given to Putin on Ukraine and uh, and then you know cow to Putin and get the gas back and then at least produce that particular factor and that still leaves them with waterways that have no water um, and 
and and the and the disease issue yeah, as well. Hopefully, some of that. Hopefully, the you know the drought will will fix itself come come winter time. Let's. Uh, but you know, obviously, long term effects of climate change need to be considered. But the the it's it's Europe generally doesn't seem to think they're in as bad a place as we're describing. So, Isabel Schnabel, for example, is one of the policymakers with a vote at the ECB. Uh, she is one of several in the ECB saying, well, actually, I don't think, uh, you know, we're going to have a recession. If we, I don't see any, uh, her, her words, I don't see any indication of a prolonged deep recession at the moment. It's not even clear that there's going to be a technical recession in the euro area at all. That's her words. It sounds like she's living in cloud cuckoo land. Or she's got Europe confused with some... Well, she's an economist. What do you expect? <laughs> and, a, and a central bank economist as well, of course. So central bankers famously even never worse, predict yeah, a recession, yeah, of course. Yeah. Because uh, in, in a in a yeah, way, this yeah. recession, aside from the uh, from the energy side, is a bit like you know 1980, isn't it? When the, you know basically Europe was pulled into a recession by U.S. monetary policy. We've seen this before, and I guess we will continue to. So, is there is there a way that Europe can uh, shield itself from the influence of the uh, of the United States, or or not really? Not really. I mean, the only thing we again, you're going to have to have this start causing you know chaos in the European economy on top of what's already happening with the energy, then they're going to have to have uh, political meetings of saying central banks cannot use interest rates to control uh, inflation, which won't work anyway, because they're, they're, again, the whole idea of using interest rates is to, is to train in excessive aggregate demand. This is all about supply. And, uh, and it not, it, it's just going to add to the cost of, 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 uh, of business and bankrupt quite a few People, both households and corporations, that are already teetering on the brink, courtesy of the high energy prices. So it's a, it, it is a, it is a right royal mess. Right, but if if the ECB did nothing, supposing, supposing even if they did say, well, okay, we're going to start t- taking some energy from Russia. Russia, of course, isn't going to turn on the taps fully anyway. There's still going to be rationing. He's going to, he's going to enjoy, you know. Uh, Turning the thumbscrew and, uh, and 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 watching the rest of Europe in pain, uh, so you know because he can. So there's there's still going to be an issue even if they sort of like uh, you know call for peace. So uh, you've got that issue. Uh, you're not going to fix uh, the the issue of going into recession in a hurry. Um, no. And and so you're still going to have this inflation issue, which means you're still going to have these, you know, foolishly these very high interest rates, which are being uh, pushed on both sides of the channel. And if they're going up in America, then Europe has to too, doesn't it? Unless that, because if they if they were to say, well, no, we're not going to do that, then investors are going to shy away from from European bonds. I mean, well, no, that, that, that's a, that, let's get that one right as well. The European bond thing, the bonds will still be purchased because, the, well, the, <laughs> this is where the euro has been a bit pain in the butt because when, when, when the government, actually, that is the problem. This is where the euro really comes home to roost because if you had a sovereign currency, if there was a German mark and an Italian lira and a French franc and so on, um, then the, the running a deficit, which is necessary in this circumstance, would create the funds and reserves which enable the banks to buy the bonds, and they'd buy them regardless of the of the um, um, regard regardless of the interest rate, because it's, it's better to get an interest rate at all than none at all on reserves. Mm. So this, this is where the, the euro is. No, because not long ago they weren't getting euro. anything there because it was negative. The interest rates were negative. But I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm pos- pos- now, so yeah. as long as they're above zero, absolutely. Why why hold cash in reserves when you can have bonds in reverse reserve and get some money yeah. back? 
But, but but that doesn't work for the countries of Europe because they are like the states of America. They're not like the national government, which can create money. They're like the states that have to spend tax revenue, mm. so or and or bond revenue. If they can't sell the bonds, then yes, you're going to. What you're going to see consequently is is you know uh, they're going to need to issue bond, create money to provide people with uh, with uh, basic services in this in this breakdown. Um, and therefore, they're going to have to off, off, off the bond. So yes, interest rates are going to go through the roof in Europe as well, whether they want them to or not. Mm. I mean, couldn't they, and they sort of have to an extent with the pandemic, say, well, okay, we're going to issue bonds. Uh, and, oh, sorry, we're going to buy, actually, the central bank is we're going to buy bonds and we're going to buy bonds from more from those peripheral regions, which uh, need to raise the money the most. I'm not sure that's worked terribly well, but does that get around that issue of not having one single currency or not really? Not really. I mean, it's 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 still going to be worse than the country. Like, I wouldn't like to be Greece trying to do this right now. So you're going to see yeah. this you know, distributed. Germany will do better, uh, but still badly. So again, all the underlying national tensions hidden by the euro will be amplified by it yet again, like back in the 2000. And eight two thousand and ten. Well, that that crisis. variation within Europe—that's the other problem. That's another dimension to this whole thing, isn't it? So we look at um, last year before yeah. we got into where we are now in twenty twenty one. So government debt as a proportion of GDP in Greece was over two hundred percent. For the eurozone generally, it was a hundred percent. In Italy, it was one hundred and sixty percent. In France, one hundred and twenty percent. Germany, sixty five percent, even less in in the Netherlands. So I mean, you know that the poorer countries are going to need to bail out more people as energy prices rise, and that's going to push their debt their debt even higher. Mm-hmm. So that whole situation of this regional disparity within Europe is only going to get worse. And this is the let's remember that the original objective of the, the of the uh, forming the euro with the Maastricht Treaty was to keep government debt below sixty percent of GDP and the deficit below three percent. Mm-hmm. Well, what a what a raging success this has been. You know, even Germany. Yeah. Never, Germany never actually made it below the 60%. The only country to manage that was Spain. And, of course, that was because of its housing bubble. And the burst of that blew it up to the 120% mark. So it just shows what a, what a clusterfuck uh, the European Union has been and, and will continue to be, particularly when it's put under pressure. And there's no greater pressure than what we're going through right and now. And yet right now, I mean, GDP is still growing. Not much, but it, it's not. So in, in the United mm. States, GDP is, is negative, although they're saying it's not a true recession because... People are still working, which is the curious thing. People do still have jobs, uh, but uh, but they're mm. still. I mean, not a great deal, but they're still in positive territory in, in Europe. So a recession hasn't hit yet. Mm. It's just a question of time. It's your timing again, Steve. I know. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm not good at. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but this this is a you know, this is just a case where the what I'm good at is pointing out when structures are, are, are just not up to purpose. And the euro is just demonstrating this once more. So the euro is yeah. adding yet another reason why uh, Europe is going to suffer. And if they, again, abolish the damn thing and go back to national currencies. But of course, is that going to happen? No yeah. bloody And the won't. step back would be to go back to the EQ. So you have a, tra- a, a trading currency for business if you if you need that. Yeah. Uh, the EQ, yeah, yeah, yeah. user for an internal trade. That's that's what it. It never should have gone beyond that level. Yeah. But uh, so so Europe is uniquely unprepared for the challenges it faces, uh, and, and again, I think the only thing is to have a, a, a you know a, a supranational get together and organise rationing and just say this is forget about the price system, forget about currencies. Fundamentally, we have to just simply make the the, the physical resources get to people, so we don't have people freezing to death during winter. 
um, and or starving to death if the if the production of, of uh, fertilizer collapses and food output collapses, which is another factor. Yeah. Again, with the drought and so food prices are likely to go through the roof because again, Ukraine and Russia. We're talking about two of the world's major uh, grain food producers. Bowls. Yeah. Uh, so so it, it is just you know yeah. it's a right royal mess. I mean, and again the the the, you know, the smooth projection of the limits of growth were not designed to do justice to this because. That's where there's a sort of smooth systems feeding back and making each other worse, but slowly. This is falling off a cliff, and this is what happened in the real world. So they got the up, upswing and the pressures and the dangers right and the beginning of the downturn, but then what happens on the other side is this collapse, and that's what we're seeing right now. The only ways out are twofold, I think. Give in to Putin, lose Ukraine, get the gas burning back again. That's kowtowing to, to, to but what do you do in the situation they're in? And pray for rain. And then, and then start realizing that in the 2023, uh, seriously start taking attention what the scientists have been saying for decades, been drowned by the stupid garbage pumped out by economists, saying all this stuff is minor, it'll be in the far future. It's major, and it's now. Well, I mean, it's starting to impact business, isn't it? So, I mean, like the you know yeah. the, the heat wave in, uh, in in China, for example, has been stopping chip production because the factories are too warm, mm. so they've had to close down. Yeah. So, that, 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 by the way, I saw a tweet which made a point that one of Nordhaus's garbage examples in back in his 1991 paper was to say that a lot of production takes place in carefully controlled environments, and the two <laughs> examples he gave were heart surgery and microprocessor production. And what's happening? You know, microprocessor production being shut down because of a one degree increase in temperature versus the four degrees that that idiot thought was optimal <laughs> i just love it's like saying well when when the when the climate gets in trouble what are you going to do oh, i just won't go out as much it, yeah, <laughs> so I know. Whole, it, a whole depth it, of that it, argument, it, 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 or richard toll saying we'll live indoors more and we'll use more air conditioning i mean god almighty what jerks these people are and i want them to pay i want them to be responsible to be found to be shown to be responsible for part of the circumstance because if we had been if we'd followed the guide of the limits of growth 50 years ago we would not be having this conversation and it's a conversation i'd very much enjoy not having woody allen's answer years ago to the world famine problem was that people could just eat out more that uh, it's it's a bit like that sort of uh, thinking. He's he, given the Nobel Prize for economic. That's about Nordhaus's standard. <laughs> so he knows it's a joke. I mean, there's another element to all of this as well, uh, just to make matters worse for Europe. In that there are parts of the world which are growing quickly, and Europe is not. I mean, you know, it's sort of reached its maximum in terms of productivity. And there are those who say that the trend growth in Europe is only going to get slower and slower, irrespective of you know those issues which are really slowing things down. And that the variability of that growth is higher than the average growth. So, for example, the average GDP from now on might just be 1% per year, but the standard deviation might be 2.5%, for example. So you can expect Mm. more periods of negative growth just because of, you know, doing the maths. If that's the case, you know, who's going to invest in Europe? You're going to go, well, it's too volatile because you've got this slow growth and this variability. Let's go for parts of the world where we can invest where we are actually seeing growth. Why would we be putting money into Europe. That's a, that's another, you know, a, another yeah, uh, like I, I, finger I, of how stuffed is Europe. I, I, I have this feeling, it's, it's only just totally speculative, but it's possible that if they give in on Ukraine and then get the gas flowing from Russia, so that particular gas and energy bottleneck is removed, uh, then at the same time that the rains come, now there could be devastating rains just like we're seeing in Pakistan right now, but if the weather sort of turns back to something vaguely resembling what we used to call normal, uh, then you take the pressure off 
uh, and there might be another five years or so before it gets to be crunch stage again. But this is the time to take it seriously. This is the wake-up call. And if Europe doesn't take the wake-up call seriously, then it really will fall apart. Right. So you get the energy coming again. Uh, you, you, you start to function for a few years. How do you get over that last point I made where if you've got a continent of... I, I need to get rid of the euro. <laughs> so I've got a lot of work to do over mm. the next year. Uh, so Europe mm. starts to function uh, and you start to, you know, some, hopefully some of the, the, that regional disparity will sort itself out because you'll have, you know, Greece will become a cheaper place to holiday again because, you know, the uh, the drachma will devalue uh, against where mm. it is with the, with the euro. So you get all that sort of flexibility. So Europe starts to function more normally. But you've still got that issue, haven't you, that you've got a continent here that's not growing very quickly and there's other parts of the world where you're seeing more growth. I, I think the, day, the days of growth are over. I mean, the, the, the whole, you know, I think a lot of people in Pakistan aren't worried about growth as much as reconstruction and staying alive. And uh, the obsession with growth has to die. And the, the, that's actually what's causing us to die right now, that particular obsession which economists have fed by the bucket load. Uh, you know, there's two ways to degrow. You can do it voluntarily or nature does it for you. We're getting a taste of what it's like when nature does it for us. us. It's about damn time we change direction and said we have to reduce consumption, reduce inequality levels uh, and and, and drastically reduce the pressure putting in the biosphere because we haven't got long before the biosphere will sweep us away. Are you abandoning capitalism in that then? Capitalism has been destroyed by its fans, neoclassical economists. That the, the the biggest danger to that's like so, the Soviet Union was destroyed by the fans of socialism. Okay, and this is the the, the neoclassical, completely inappropriate model of capitalism. By defending that model, they destroyed capitalism. That's starting to happen this decade. Right. So we've got to go back to the good old mixed economy days, where we uh, where, where we say, well, we we have capitalist principles, but we uh, but we don't let them run free. Yeah. That would that, 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 be a lucky outcome compared to what we've got. What we've got, what we've got now, we're in a war economy, and the sooner we realise this is war economy levels and you have to ration and control uh, expenditure, uh, the better. Well, another uh, enlightening uh, and uh, not particularly rewarding <laughs> experience with Steve Keen. <laughs> uh, look, next time I want to look at central banks uh, and uh, their role in all of this and, and what should be the role of central banks. We'll, uh, and we have talked about that in the past, but we'll revisit it next week. Good to talk, Steve. Welcome, mate. OK, bye. And that question about the role of central banks is timely because Liz Truss, who will almost certainly be the next Prime Minister of Britain, for, at least for a little while, until she completely stuffs it up, uh, she has said she wants to look at the independence of the Bank of England, uh, arguably because she thinks they didn't move fast enough on putting interest rates up, but probably, uh, thank God they haven't. Uh, we'll look at all of that next week on the Debunking economics podcast the debunking economics podcast normally being a little extra might be a bit much but not when it comes to healthcare. that's why united healthcare's health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com if you've enjoyed listening to debunking economics uh, even if you haven't you might also enjoy the y curve each week roger hearing and i talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week it's lively it's fun it's informative what more could you want so search the y curve in your favorite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen